Philippians chapter 3, um, there's one other ministry I wanted to share with you, and I kind of wanted to be a little separate uh, from the other kind of rundown because it starts tomorrow, and it's new to our, our church, and it's the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. You heard the announcement uh, there, and uh, let me encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, um, pray for this ministry. Um, go ahead and take your, your phone and uh, your calendar, maybe put yourself an alert or a reminder. Uh, I hope that every Monday uh, you'll take just a few moments uh, to pray for, for this ministry. And um, Celebrate Recovery is most often thought of as an addiction uh, ministry, but there's so much more uh, to, to that ministry uh, than just addictions. And so the, number, the second thing I want you to do is, is consider attending uh, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, even if it's just for a short time, uh, once or twice here and there, um, and see what it is, and see what it's about, and see how it uh, could be a help to you uh, personally. But that starts tomorrow night at 6.30, and so I hope that you'll spend some time in prayer, uh, maybe tomorrow for that ministry, and then uh, consider uh, even being a part of, of that ministry there. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 is where we are, um, and uh, the, the kind of theme for the last uh, two weeks for my life is, as mo- is moving forward. The last couple of Wednesdays, we've talked about that, looked in the book of Exodus uh, here in our Wednesday night uh, auditorium class, and uh, looking at the children of Israel and Moses and then moving forward. And, and that's kind of been the thing of, theme of my last couple of weeks as we transition from 2023 uh, to 2024. I never want uh, to be complacent or satisfied with where I am uh, as, a, as an individual believer, um, as a father, as a husband, and as a, as a pastor. I never want our church to be complacent and satisfied uh, with where we are. And so we're constantly uh, moving forward, or we should be constantly moving forward as individuals and as, as a ministry. And so as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we see a man that was constantly ministering and serving. And I believe that his mindset uh, about his own walk with the Lord um, here is, is a great reminder and a challenge for us as individuals, but also for us as a church, uh, what we see here in Philippians chapter 3. And so let's pray and jump right in. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you would challenge our hearts tonight or this morning and convict us, Lord, and encourage us in our own walk with you. And we thank you for the work that you'll do in us and through us, through your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The first thing we see right off the bat in chapter 3 and verse number 1 is that this information, this information is important. Sometimes we'll read the Bible and, and maybe we've read the passage before and so um, like it's just very familiar to us and so we kind of like just gloss over it very quickly. Or maybe it's something that doesn't seem as really that important uh, to us personally and so we just kind of read through it quickly or gloss over it. But I want you to understand this morning, and Paul wants us to understand through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this information is vital. He says this, finally my brethren, Rejoice in the Lord, and this is what he says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Basically what Paul says, listen, I'm going to repeat myself here um, uh, uh, from what I've just said and what I've been telling you, and that's okay with me because it it doesn't bother me because I know it's needful uh, for you in your walk 
uh, with the Lord. And what he's been writing about is this idea of rejoicing. This is one of his uh, primary focuses or the goals of this letter is, is for uh, the Philippians to be joyful people and to rejoice in the Lord. If you'll look with me, chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. Jump down to verse number 18. He says, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Verse 25, he says, in having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. You jump over to chapter 2 in verse uh, one and two, he says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Jump down to verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. You see this theme over and over in verse 19 and, and verse 28 and 29. You go to chapter 4. You see this over and over. Regardless of the circumstances, the Christian can and should always rejoice in the person and the work of Jesus Christ because he is the basis of true joy in our lives. And this is Paul's desire is for Christians to be rejoicing and be joyful. And sometimes one of the things that, that kind of takes our joy and our rejoicing away from us is just complacency. We, we're, just, we just, we're going through the motions and we're just, it, it's, it's nothing new to us. It's the same old, same old. And so there's no joy in rejoicing in our life. Isn't it exciting when somebody trusts Christ as their Savior? I mean, isn't it amazing? Listen, you should say, amen, yes, it is, right there, praise the Lord, pastor. It is exciting when people get saved. Hey, when people get baptized, it is exciting when somebody wants to follow the Lord in believer's baptism and, and commits to serving God, or when somebody, listen, you see spiritual growth in people's lives. This is exciting. Listen, change, though sometimes it's scary, is, is exciting when new people come and join the church. These things are exciting for the church and, and for the life of the believer, well, what's not exciting is, listen, we walk in, sing the same two songs, hear the message, walk out. We just go through the normal routines. Nothing ever changes. Everything just seems to stay the same. Listen, it's not necessarily that we're depressed or it's bad, but it really doesn't bring much joy in rejoicing in our life. Complacency, though, destroys that concept of, of rejoicing because we become familiar with it. And we're, we're just, and so that familiarity breeds complacency. And we're just, well, this is what we do. This is where we are. This is kind of the motions that we go through. And, and Paul says, listen, I want you to rejoice. I want you to be a joyful believer. I want you to be excited about the things of God. And so this information, particularly dealing with joy and rejoicing uh, and spiritual growth in the life of the believer, this is important for you. And Paul says, listen, I'll preach it over and over and over and over again. And I'll remind you over and over and over again, because I want you to be a joyful, a rejoicing Christian. But unfortunately, number two, there are those who want to stop you. They want to stop you from having joy. They want to stop you from rejoicing. They want to stop you from serving God. Notice here in verse number uh, two, if you would, he says, beware 
of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Paul says, I'm going to write to you because I want you to have joy, but beware, beware, beware. Notice Paul's emphasis here uh, with that word beware. He could have just said, hey, beware of dogs, evil workers, and, and concision, but instead he uses that repetition, beware, beware, beware. The idea here is be alert, and it shows the, really the importance of taking this uh, seriously. As believers, we need to beware, he says here, of dogs. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, now, now listen, I understand when you, when you read that, he's not talking about your little fluffy. I understand that, okay? And I understand you love your dogs, and, and now you, know, you, you kind of get tensed up when you start talking about our dog. And listen, um, unless you're a cat person in here, when I read that, you kind of like, you know, and uh, now I just offended the cat people too. But, um, but he says, beware of dogs. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets used that term um, dogs for those that were against God's truth. And you go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, Jesus does the same thing because dogs were considered unclean and they were wild animals back then that really ran around threatening everyone. And so Paul is warning against people who want to, to harm you spiritually. And we have to beware of those that want to, to harm us spiritually. Hey, when they say, come alongside of you, hey, it's not that big of a deal if you go to church. It's not that big of a deal if you love God. Why are you such a, a, a crazy Christian? Why You don't have to be so outgoing about your faith, and you don't have to take this stuff that serious. You're a Christian, right? That's all that matters. And, and listen, there's so much more to our life. And unfortunately, there are those that want to, to harm us. He says, beware of evil workers. Their work, this is the people, their work is motivated by their character. Because their character is evil, their, their deeds are evil. Their work is evil. And he says, we have to beware of these people. And then beware of the concision. That word carries the idea of cutting the flesh. And there were those back then that believed the circumcision was part of, of salvation. And so some believe that Paul is teaching here concerning those that cut their flesh. It has the idea of cutting their flesh. And so there were those that cut their flesh. And, and others believe that he's talking spiritually about those who would cut off bad habits in order to, to please God. And, and really the picture here is, is beware of those that want to, to preach a false gospel. And, and in those days, there were Judaizers that said, hey, you have to follow the law in order to be right with God. There were those that, that said, hey, listen, you have to, to accept Jesus, but do good things in order to be a Christian. And, and, and we kind of fall into that today. And, and it's like, okay, if you don't do this or you don't do that, then you're not a Christian. And so really Paul's saying is, listen, beware of those that would preach a false gospel. Not another gospel, because there is no other gospel. He says, beware of those that would preach a false gospel, that, that distort the truth of God's word. And we see that over and over and over in our world. And, and really, here's the issue. There are those that want to stop us from serving God and, and, and doing what God has called us to do and living for him, worshiping him, honoring him with our life. And so Paul says, listen, beware of those, and, and they're all around us. And we see that more and more in our society today. And we as Christians have to, to be alert uh, and be on guard here because of those that want to stop us from doing the work of God. And we have to be prepared to even battle those. And so there are those that want to stop us from moving forward and having the joy and rejoicing. Um, there are those in our own personal life and there are those in this world that would love to stop the church 
from being a, a place of joy and ministry and, and moving forward for the service of, of God. And so that brings me to my, to my main point, the process then of moving forward. Okay, Paul says you need to understand uh, we, we have to move forward, we have to grow, we have to serve God, and, and this will bring joy and rejoicing in your life. We have to understand there are those that are going to be against us. But what is this process of moving forward uh, for the church, but also for me personally as an individual, looks like? And there's three things I want you to see here. Number one is self-awareness. Self-awareness. Look with me, at uh, we're there in chapter three, look at verse number three. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things are gained to me, those I counted for loss. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. The first area in this process of moving forward that we have to look at is the area of self-awareness. Self-awareness. You know, we struggle at times with um, being self-aware. Uh, sometimes, you know, you'll be in a, a circumstance and you'll see a person and um, doing something or acting a certain way and, and you'll just think, man, they're just, they're not aware of the circumstances. They're not aware of the place that they're at. Uh, they really lack self-awareness uh, in their life. And if that's never happened to you, maybe you're that person that everybody's looking at uh, in your life. But um, here, here's the idea that Paul says is he examines his own life, all right? To be self-aware means to be honest with yourself, all right? And we struggle with this, but listen to what Paul says. He says, my abilities mean nothing. See, see Paul's self-aware. He understands what he's accomplished and what he's done, but he also understands the value of those things that he has done in his flesh and, and his abilities. So my uh, abilities mean nothing, my accomplishments mean nothing. Christ in us is what matters. He says, listen, all of these things and who I am as a person, I count them all but loss. I have no confidence in the flesh. This is totally contrary to our, our society today. And listen, everybody says, listen, how great you are and how wonderful you are. And listen, how amazing you are. And that might be true. That might be true. From a human perspective, that's great. But spiritually, it, it, does, it doesn't matter. You see, and this is where we are. We say, okay, look at us. Look how amazing we are. Look at the things that we have accomplished. And basically, the idea for a Christian to be self-aware is to come to the understanding that, listen, all those things in my flesh, number one, without God, I'm not that, and I can't accomplish those things. But number two, in my flesh, those things don't matter. What matters is Christ in me. That's what matters in our life. And that's what he's talking about, listen, in his own life. He is self-aware. All of that he's done, all of his heritage, his background means nothing. And, you know, we, we see this all the time. Well, hey, pastor, you, do you not know who you're talking to? You do not know who I am? Do you not know what I've done in my life? And, and what, when you start making statements like that, 
What it means is you're not self-aware. It means you're not, you don't understand. In any area of life, you have, if you put people together to accomplish the same goal, or to accomplish a goal, excuse me, without the other one, you're not going to, to do what you need to do or accomplish. So in my world of, of sports, you have a team. And you might be able to perform to a certain point, but without the team, you're not going to accomplish what needs to be done. Individually, you might have all the ability in the world in a team sport, but it means nothing if you don't come together and work, work as a team. And I've been, trying to, I've been preaching to my team that, so it's, it's on my heart and my mind. And I've been preaching at my boys about this, this idea. Because you can be the greatest player, but without the team, it means absolutely nothing. Your ability means nothing. And listen, you can accomplish so much and, and people look at you and like, well, how arrogant you are and, and you know, conceited and all those type of things. And, and a lot of people in those moments, they lack self-awareness. A lot of times we, we look at ourselves and see how great we are, but we, we can't fail to see the people that help us get there, right? We, we see that in kids coming up and how amazing they think they are, but they don't realize the, the sacrifice and the effort their parents and grandparents and teachers and friends have put into their life to get them to where they are. They just think, man, I'm amazing. Look at how great I am. And they lack self-awareness because if it wasn't for the people, the support system in their life, they wouldn't accomplish anything. They wouldn't be where they are. And Paul says, listen, all, listen as great as you think you are, hey, listen, I, I'm better I'm better, spiritually or physically speaking, but none of that matters. And for a Christian, that's what it means to be self-aware. So number two, then, we move on from self-awareness to the second aspect of this is self-evaluation. Self-evaluation. Listen, it's hard to be honest with yourself, all right? It's hard. Most of us look in the mirror, and what do we say? Well, man, you look pretty good. Right? That's what we do. That's our mindset. We, we see our good traits. We see how pretty, how good looking we are. We see how talented we are. It, it's hard to be self-aware and, and see the flaws in our life because we just want to look at the good things of our life from a human perspective. But none of those things matter when we're talking spiritually if we do them without Christ. But it, it's even harder to step back and say, okay, I'm going to evaluate what I've done and, and start setting goals for where I'm going. And so he says here in verse number nine, and be found in him, talking about Christ, all these things are counted lost that I might win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And look, can I tell you, this is the greatest area of self-evaluation that's needed in each of our lives this morning. And it's the area when it comes to our eternal life. Are we in him? Are we in Christ? Are we trusting in his righteousness or our own? And that's what Paul says here. Notice what he says. I want to be found in him, having not mine own righteousness. It's not about my righteousness, but it's about the righteousness of God in me. And so here's what we do is we look at our life and we say how great we are. And so I'm doing all these good things, all these good things. I'm a good person. I'm moral. I'm right. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm doing all these things. And God says, and Paul says, listen, none of that righteousness matters because it's the righteousness of God in my life. Well, how do we see, how do we receive the righteousness of God in our life? 
It's through turning from our sin and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Bible gives us that picture of being in him and Christ in us and his righteousness being placed on our account. Because it's not our righteousness that gets us to heaven, it's his righteousness. And so we have to evaluate ourselves spiritually. Are you trying to be a good person to get to heaven? Are you trying to be a good mom or a good grandmother or trying to be a moral person? Listen, none of that's going to get you to heaven. None of that's going to have your sins forgiven and make you right with God. There is no eternal scale that you put all your good works on one side and bad works on the other side, and hopefully your good works outweighs your bad works. It doesn't work that way because our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. And so as Paul evaluates himself, he says, it's not about my righteousness, it's about his righteousness. So have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a time when you turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ? So regarding our eternal life, we need to evaluate ourselves. What are we trusting in to get us to heaven? Also then, regarding our sanctification, notice what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So we need to evaluate ourselves when it comes to the area of, of salvation, but we need to er- evaluate ourselves in the area of sanctification. Knowing Christ is, was the focus of Paul's life. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be conformed into his image, being conformed to him and being conformed to his death. Being conformed to his death. The Bible tells us that when we get saved, we've been predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. That's God's goal for our life. And when Paul says here, listen, I want to be conformed unto, unto his death, conformable unto his death, what is he talking about? What he's saying is, I want to be obedient like Christ. I want to be so transformed and so much like Jesus Christ, I'm obedient to God. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a a servant, and he was obedient even to the death of the cross. You see, we're to be conformed into the image of God or into the image of his son. And, and, and one of the great ways we show that, our conformity, is to be obedient to God. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so we need to evaluate ourselves as, and where are we right now in our obedience to God and being conformed to the image of of his son. And as I thought about that the last several weeks, it's one of the reasons I started thinking about character traits and, and what it means to look like a Christian and act like a Christian and live like a Christian and, and how conformed am I to the image of Jesus Christ. We need to take a hard look at ourselves and, and evaluate ourselves and evaluate our church as to where we are. And then number three, as we finish up here, the third aspect of this process from self-awareness then self-evaluation, we move into self-motivation. Self-motivation. Look with me at verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many be as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, 
God shall reveal even this unto you. Paul says, as I look at my own life, I'm motivated to be more like Christ. Basically, we see Paul is not satisfied with his, his past accomplishments. Paul didn't have a list of accomplishments that, like, okay, if I do this, then I'm good. If I, if I reach this many people, if I start this many churches, if, I, if I'm persecuted this much, he didn't have uh, these things. If I accomplish these things, then I'm good. The goal is complete knowledge of, of Christ, and this is something he labored for every day of his life, and this is, the, this is God's calling for every believer. What is our goal? To be more like Christ. And that's what motivates me. It, it is amazing to me uh, how sometimes or some things motivate certain people. Listen, there's some people, you can't get them to do anything. I mean, you, you just can't get them to do anything. But if you find that one thing that they like, you know, you, you take your kids and, you know, you, it's hard to get them to motivated to do something. But then you figure out, for some of kids, man, it's money. It's like, hey, I want, you to, I want you to clean the house. Why? 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 What do you mean why? Because I said so. No, because, not, because you're part of the family. And it's like, well, they drudge around and it's just all oh, miserable. I have the worst parents in the world. You walk into the room and say, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks to vacuum the floor. Bam, they're up, their vacuum's out, they're cleaning, they're moving stuff, and like, they're getting this thing done. Why? Because money motivates them. Many of us adults are, are the same way. You can find that thing that motivates people. And man, it's amazing what changes. And for the Christian, the greatest motivation is that we become more like Christ. And that's our goal every day. And so that's why we do the things that we do. And that's why we're in the Bible. And that's why we're serving. And that's why we're fellowshipping with other believers. And that's why we're in church. Why do we do these things? Because we want to be more like Christ. And then we need to not be satisfied with our past accomplishments, but push forward every day to be like Christ. But then don't think highly too highly of yourself. Notice what he says, verse 15, let us therefore, if any man be perfect, the idea there is mature, be thus minded. And the idea here is, listen, you don't think that you have arrived. You might be a mature Christian in this room, and there are many mature Christians in here. Some of you have been saved 50, 60 years. Some of you have been saved 20, 30 years. You've been saved for a long time, and you've been in a lot of church services, and you've read your Bible through every year for 20 years, and you've, and you've done a lot of Bible studies, and you've read a lot of books, and you've had a lot of uh, equipped classes and a lot of different things. And, and spiritually, you've been growing and growing and growing. And listen, don't ever think that you've arrived. It's one of the big killers of joy and rejoicing and growth is we, we, we're, we, we're satisfied with where we are. And he says, those of you that, that think you're mature or those of you that are mature, I want you to have the same mind that I have. Be thus minded. Tomorrow I want to be more like Christ. Tomorrow I want to be more like Christ. And so the, the motivation here, though I labeled it self-motivation, the motivation is to be like Christ. And, and I say self-motivation because that has to be our desire. I, I, I'd love to make everybody in here more like Christ. I'd love every day to, to, help, to make you grow spiritually or to help you grow spiritually. And, but the reality is, is this is something that has to become a priority in our own life. We have to make this our goal and focus in our life. And this has to be the goal of the church. This has to be the goal of individual Christians. This has to be our motivation that we want to be more like Christ today than we were yesterday and tomorrow more than we are today. Don't ever get satisfied 
with, with where you are. Hey, we're moving forward. Listen, change happens. It should happen. And I know some of you, we, we, it, you're, it's a fearful thing. And the sad thing is, though, is if change is not happening in your life, you're not moving forward, and you're not becoming more like Christ, and you're not doing more for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, in life, there's some things that change the same. God never changes. His word never changes. And that's what we stand on. And that's not going to change. But there's so many things in life that have to change. And one thing is, is our walk with God and us being more conformed to the image of Christ and us as a church doing more for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have to understand that these things have to be a priority in our life so that it motivates us to continue to do more. But we have to desire and be motivated to, to move forward. Why do we do the things that we do? Because we want to be more like Christ. We want to do more for the cause of the gospel. That's why we do what we do. And so today, and in just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Why are we doing that today? Well, we have a general schedule that we do it, but today is the perfect day for us. As we transition from 2023 to 2024, we want to be reminded as a church what Jesus Christ did for us. He went to the cross and he paid for our sin. He was buried and three days later, he rose again to give eternal life to those that would receive him by faith and have forgiveness of sin and and have eternal life and be part of the family of God. And what a reminder that is for us in our own life not to be complacent where we are, but to continue to grow spiritually and continue to move forward in the work of the Lord.